Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We made it to Friday yet again, and as 2020 rolls along, that's a more and more impressive accomplishment given uh, the way the news cycle is evolving here. We've got nothing but crazy martinis. We had so many crazy martinis, we considered nothing other than crazy martinis today. And Jim, I don't normally go on vacation with less than a month before a national election. That's just kind of the way the calendar worked out with this crazy year, but uh, given the stories we have today... I feel more and more justified in making that decision. So happy Friday to you. I was going to say, I can't begrudge you (laughs) wanting to get out of town, wanting a break, stepping away. And, uh, you know, maybe the world would be more sane when you return. I don't know if I'd count on that. I would not bet highly on that. But you're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, You and Chad Benson next week talking about confirmation hearings and maybe, maybe not a debate. Who knows exactly what's going to be going on that story. But let's get to the crazy. Uh, First crazy martini today. The plot to kidnap and possibly kill Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. This is the Detroit News. Federal agents said Thursday they thwarted a plot to violently overthrow the government as well as kidnap and harm Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, a conspiracy that included visits to her home in northern Michigan and training with firearms and explosive devices. The alleged plot mainly involves six conspirators unhappy in part about Whitmer's coronavirus restrictions, calling her a tyrant, and they wanted to create a self-sufficient society free from what they called unconstitutional state governments and discuss plans to storm the Capitol and take hostages, according to FBI documents filed in court. So, uh, Jim, uh, the reaction to this, of course, ought to be shock. And I think for at least 30 seconds to a minute, it probably was. Uh, And then the assumption started, including from Governor Whitmer. Here's what she had to say in her public statement. Just last week, the president of the United States stood before the American people and refused to condemn white supremacists and hate groups like these two Michigan militia groups. Stand back and stand by, he told them. Stand back and stand by. Hate groups heard the president's words not as a rebuke, but as a rallying cry, as a call to action. So Trump's obviously not responsible for this plot, but, uh, oh, there must be some great Trump affinity with these people. Well, no, there's not that either. Here's one of the people arrested uh, in a previous video talking about Trump. No, Trump is not your friend, dude. And it's it amazes me that people actually, like, believe that when he's shown over and over and over again that he's a tyrant. Every single person that works for government is your enemy, dude. So just to recap, kidnapping the governor, definitely bad. Baselessly blaming Trump, very bad. And the people involved in this plot, very bad. All those bads add up to crazy, Jim. Yeah, you know, where to begin? I mean, I guess begin with the glad the fact that Whitmer uh, was unharmed. It sounds like the FBI had undercover guys and, and that, you know, Generally, she was not necessarily in any real danger at any point. That having been said, the fact that these guys were planning to do this is, you know, it's something you'd rather not see. It's kind of scary. It's kind of frightening. And I think it is, you know, bad for her to, you know, you've already just had something. You're not up for re-election. You don't really need to instantly turn this into a political football. And you should not immediately assume that these guys are Trump fans because then this uh, video comes out of the guy who is, let's face it, much more of an anarchist 
uh, anti-Trump and Whitmer looks foolish. That having been said, it did not take very long for Trump to go on this really angry tirade about Whitmer. Uh, this does not really reflect well on him. And I, I just kind of want to make the general point that, you know, when Trump gets asked that question by Wallace in the debate, and yes, I know in other times Trump has denounced white supremacists, he's denounced militias. But if you do this, if, if on that stage he said, these guys are a bunch of losers, I want nothing to do with them, they're terrible, they're awful, they're the worst of humanity. Well, then Whitmer wouldn't be able to do this, right? She wouldn't have any opportunity to say, aha, see, these guys are encouraged by Trump and Trump's words, you know, uh, uh, fired them up. Look, we, we see no connection between Trump, but it'd be much easier to make that criticism to Whitmer if Trump was clear on this every single time, instead of suddenly getting tongue-tied. And I point out that we constantly see Trump denounce people he doesn't like, like Don Lemon or Mika Brzezinski or Joe Scarborough in really clear terms all the time. It's only with this group, all of a sudden, Trump gets so tongue-tied and he just can't get the words out the right way and stuff like that. Bad uh, behavior all around, but it's just kind of particularly crazy. Uh, and oh, by the way, let's just observe, like, you know, the, the Caesar Sayoc nut job who was sending uh, apparently defective, but, you know, scary-looking mail bombs to media organizations and Democrats right before the 2018 elections did not help things any. I don't know if this will necessarily be a uh, huge factor in this year's election, but, you know, look, we, we there's already enough anger in the world. There's already enough anger and outrage and paranoia this is why politicians are not supposed to play with these kind of forces. This is why you're not supposed to stir people up like this, because there's always a chance that some nut job out there is going to take you seriously. Now, in this case, it was not inspired by the president, but I guess Gretchen Whitmer is comfortable pretending that they were. And it's interesting how the media, of course, plays favorites on this, because remember when the guy shot up the Congressional Republican baseball practice, this guy wasn't an anarchist. He was a, a Bernie Sanders, ardent Bernie Sanders supporter. Doesn't mean Bernie Sanders endorsed what he was doing there that day, of course. But uh, the media didn't seem to think there was much of a connection there. In fact, I bet most, uh, even of our listeners, don't remember that guy's name. It's James Hodgkinson's, by the way. But uh the fact that that was so quickly lost on the media uh, is amazing, but I'm sure that they're going to run with this for a few more days. Well, let's move on to our second crazy martini now. And Jim, the 25th Amendment. As we've said uh, in the past, not too long ago, it's only been invoked once. It was in season two of 24. And within a couple of hours, President Palmer was right back in office and Chief of Staff Mike Novick was out uh, due to his disloyalty to the president. But uh, Nancy Pelosi has decided that we do need a special commission to decide if the president is fit for office. Uh, here's what she said just this morning, introducing Jamie Raskin, who she described as a constitutional scholar. I would describe him as a very far left radical congressman. But nonetheless, here's uh, Nancy Pelosi's vision for having congressional oversight for whether the president ought to stay in office. This is not about President Trump. He will face the judgment of the voters, but he, uh, he shows the need for us to create a process for future presidents. Throughout America's history, our leaders have created and strengthened guardrails in the Constitution to ensure stability and continuity of government in times of crisis. The 25th Amendment creates a path for preserving stability if a president suffers a crippling physical or mental problem and is, unquote, in the amendment, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office and transfers his powers. So, Jim, we've got this thing called the 25th Amendment, which clearly states in Section 4 that the vice president has to be involved in saying it's time for the president to have to step aside, either with a majority of the cabinet officers 
or uh, congressional leaders uh, then uh, uh, combining to take action. So obviously no one like Mike Pence would, would be doing that. Kamala Harris, on the other hand, uh, is, yeah. a, is a different story. But uh, what do you make of Nancy Pelosi trying to create this special commission that would seem to give Congress the unilateral authority, uh, not even need the cabinet, not even need the vice president to decide it's time for the president to be declared incapable of functioning in the office? I've said a lot of times, oh, man, the president was crazy when he said that. I do not mean that literally the president is, is you know, psychologically out of his mind and needs to be in a straitjacket with rubber rooms and under psychiatric observation. You know, we, we have the metaphorical crazy and we have the literal crazy, uh, you know, and for those who don't know the difference, please don't refer to Joe Biden when it comes literally, <laughs> because he likes to use the word literally when he means figuratively, uh, great emphasis. So, you know, and part of the problem here is that we've had people who don't like the president Oftentimes, I agree with their assessment, but they often will say, we should be invoking the 25th Amendment, the president is crazy. And by that, what they mean is the president is making decisions that they disagree with very strongly. They disagree very strongly with the things the president is saying, uh, that a president who watches television a lot and kind of has a, you know, meandering uh, train of thought, you know, like there's things like this. It's not like the president is like getting out finger paints and and doing that all over the, the resolute desk or something like that, right? The president is not running through the halls screaming that ghosts are chasing him or he's not he's not hearing voices he's not uh hallucinating you know this is you know this is all you know not only within you know i don't know whether you'd say normal human behavior this is all within normal behavior for trump you know you could argue okay the president's just been through uh treatment for coronavirus he's on certain medication maybe the medication could be giving him mood swings or affecting his judgment it's possible kind of tough to get a baseline <laughs> i don't know if the president has been more erratic with his uh walking away over the negotiations of the coronavirus bill or walking away from the uh plan to have debates and all that stuff that would seem really strange from someone who had a very even keeled and if mike pence started doing that stuff we'd be like okay something's wrong this is really out of norm out of the out of the norm for him for trump this is pretty much par for the course it's very tough to say this is a dramatic change in his behavior I just think that this is one of those things where if there was genuine concern about the mental health and stability of the president of the United States, well, this is where we would expect Mike Pence to step forward. This is where we would expect Mike Pompeo to step forward. Uh, Esper, um, you know, that, that there are enough people in the Trump cabinet who would be looking at this and saying, OK, this is not normal, even by his standards. Something is terribly wrong. We need to intervene. And because there's people have gone to this well so often, I don't think anybody's really going to pay that much attention to it. And much less to have Nancy Pelosi, who visibly tore up his speech behind him and impeached him. And uh, she's been arguing he should be out for, for all the time. So for like just a couple of weeks before Election Day to say, oh, now it's time to invoke the 25th Amendment. Um, not particularly plausible, not particularly argument, although you do kind of wonder... Is this laying the groundwork for Kamala? Was, it, was there a particular California senator who has, you know, you know, got a really wide grin on her face right now? <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is necessarily welcome news for Joe Biden or Jill Biden, uh, either one. If President Trump is reelected, I think Nancy Pelosi has every intention of trying to invoke this. Um, but in the end, we have the 25th Amendment. The vice president has to be involved. Uh, and somehow she thinks she can circumvent this by creating this commission extra constitutionally to allow Congress unilaterally to decide whether the president is fit to serve. The history of Woodrow Wilson does give us reason to think, okay, you know, we, we can live in an era where 
uh, someone where the president is in poor health and can't really do the job, but people around him don't want to see the president change and who will take steps to ensure the public is not really aware of the true condition of the president. That, that could happen. And, you know, um, but the thing that like, it's, it's interesting that this comes along the, the time we're having this giant fight about the Supreme Court, about Amy Coney Barrett and about the idea of whether there should be nine justices of the Democrats suddenly saying, no, 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 we should just put as many on the court as we need to always win. At its heart, the conservative worldview should have this idea that when it comes to how you do things, you go to your rule book. In our case, our mentality is the rule book is the Constitution. And you follow what that says. And most of the time, the rule book is pretty clear. And even if the rules don't work out to the outcome that's advantageous for you, you don't get to change them because those are the rules, right? You don't get to suddenly decide, oh, the popular vote counts more in the presidency because we won that. We didn't win the Electoral College. No, no. If you want to change it, you change the rules to get rid of the Electoral College. If you don't like the way the Supreme Court's turning out, you don't just say, oh, let's add a few more who, who think the way we do. Um, there is this, this inherent mentality that has really taken root on the left that any, system, any law, any rule, any constitutional principle that works against them is inherently unjust and inherently illegitimate, even though it's legitimate because it's right there in the Constitution. What we're seeing, we have a procedure to remove a president. Nancy Pelosi does not like that it has not been invoked. So she basically says, well, we need new rules. We need this outside commission. By the way, Greg, is it just me or are you tired of every single problem that comes down the pike being told that we need a bipartisan commission to solve this? Right? The other day on MSNBC, that former FBI official was saying, well, we need a bipartisan commission to vet the nominees of parties. I guess if the commission doesn't see stuff they like, the party has to go back and pick another one. Hey, everybody, I know you picked somebody in the primaries, but this commission of bipartisan, full of people who are not in your party, have decided this nominee is not okay. You got to go pick another one. Start over again. Everybody go back to square one. The last person who should be putting forth uh, any sort of idea about how others can remove people who no longer have the mental candle power to do the job is Nancy Pelosi. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. Let's talk about our final crazy martini now. And we talked about this earlier in the week. The North Carolina Senate race has uh, been shaken up in the last few days uh, due to revelations that uh, Cal Cunningham, the Democratic nominee who had a slight lead in most recent polls, uh, engaged in sexting with uh, a woman out on the West Coast. Turns out uh, that it wasn't just sexting. Uh, The woman admits that they did have an encounter at Cal Cunningham's home, as a matter of fact. And then, uh, as we reported, there was another woman uh, who had been having an affair with Cal Cunningham since 2012. Now, Cunningham, for the most part, has been lying low. He says he's not dropping out. He's uh, apologized, apparently, to his family. But, Jim, this is now a major issue in this race. And guess whose fault it is? That's right. It's Tom Tillis's fault, according to Cal Cunningham. And because Tom Tillis knows that he is losing and knows that we are winning, he has now resorted to trying to make this campaign about something other than the issues. But we know, 
I know. Well, given the fact that Cal Cunningham's entire campaign was based on integrity and that Tom Tillis didn't have the integrity to stand up to Trump, uh, Jim, I would say this is a central question in the case uh, before North Carolina voters this year. Yeah, two revelations here. The first is I did not realize it until I heard that audio, Greg, that Cal Cunningham could be his own gravelly voiced attack ad announcer. I know you're hearing it's all about Cal Cunningham having an affair, but the real villain in this story is Tom Tillis. You know, um, then again, maybe he's been, you know, screaming at himself or screaming at the world for the last couple of weeks. And maybe that's why his voice sounds so hoarse. Or, you know what, considering the state of Tillis, maybe he should, maybe he should uh, check himself for coronavirus. I don't know. Hope he's well. But clearly, look, this is a guy. This is probably the worst case scenario for most campaigns. And, you know, in, in the pre-Trump era, these were the sorts of things that, you know, campaign consultants would have nightmares about because it's too late for the Democrats to switch out. the. It's too late even for the Torricelli maneuver to switch out a, <laughs> a you know bad Senate candidate. Ballots have already been printed up. They've been sent out to the military. They've been sent out everywhere. And Cunningham clearly has no interest in withdrawing. He he thinks he's going to be able to, to Bill Clinton his way through this, that he's going to be able to soldier all this down. But the thing is that traditionally what people do in this circumstance is they try to, you know, they, they go into a bunker, right? They, they hide... They try to avoid this. And you can do you can do the Larry Craig thing where you simply, you know, who at one point, I guess, had announced his res- resignation and then decided, yeah, maybe I won't. And decided to just, you know, not be available to reporters in any environment other than his official ones to never ask any questions or to never answer any questions, to never address the issue and just pretend it didn't happen and wait for people to forget. And while I don't think necessarily voters ever really forgot about it, you know, this was the last term he was going to serve in the Senate. So things worked out just fine. For Cunningham, you don't really have that option, right? You're in the final weeks of extremely hard fought Senate campaign. You're going to have to do media appearances at some point. Because of the coronavirus, you can't do big rallies and stuff like that. But at some point, you got to interact. And I guess this is how they're going to do it. He's going to do videos and say, let's talk about the issues. Let's talk about the issues. Except, as you noted, Greg, he's been beating the drum on integrity for all this. And again, this is fairly, fairly sordid. And again, I notice it's not like you know, John Edwards came roaring back in North Carolina after he had his infamous stories come out. So we'll see how this shakes out, uh, Greg. But it's interesting. You know, even you know, Bill Clinton and the Lewinsky scandal, that was you know after the last time he ever saw, he ever faced voters. Hillary Clinton obviously went on to face the voters several times. But, you know, most of the time, Guys who have been caught in this way don't go in front of the voters quickly thereafter and say, hey, tell me I'm OK. Uh, even some time went by for um, uh, South Carolina governor and then Congressman Mark Sanford. Several years went by before he ran for that congressional seat. So we'll see how it shakes out. But it's a really kind of bold you know, plan to say, you know, the problem here is Tom Tillis. No, Cal. No, he's not. <laughs> Yes, and uh, Cal Cunningham is in the, I believe, the Army Reserve, and so there are pretty strict rules against uh, that sort of behavior, and there might be some consequences coming his way on that as well. And uh, that is a problem of your own doing, sir. Uh, Jim, can't wait to hit the door. Have a great week. Enjoy the confirmation process, and I'll see you a week from Monday. Enjoy your week away, Greg. It is well-timed. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And by the way, the first day I'm back, October 19th, is going to be a very special edition of the Three Martini Lunch. I'm not going to tell you any more than that right now, but do not miss the <laughs> October 19th edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Have a great weekend. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We always are grateful for a kind review and a five-star rating. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great weekend, and Jim and Chad will be here on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.